There is a war going on, an awesome war that has already been won. So, Father God, we thank you for this very beautiful day, Holy Week, the precious revelation of your Son to us and your relationship with each other, your willingness to lay down your life, Lord Jesus, um, to deliver us, to save us, to rescue us. And so we thank you, Father, for this um, unspeakable sacrifice, this uh, uh, indescribable um, move that you made to rescue us from Satan, from the kingdom of darkness. And yet, Father, we, we apologize to you that so many people have so misconstrued what's gone on. They don't understand it. The devil's flipped it on its head, lied about you, lied about everything that you've done, Lord God. And so we pray today that we, you'd give us ears to hear, eyes to see. Open us, our eyes and ears and understanding, that we would not be blind and deaf and dumb like the um, prophet of Isaiah spoke about of old when you'd shut their ears. It's time, Lord God, to open the eyes, ears, and understanding of your people so that we can truly give you true recognition and adoration and um, thanksgiving for what you have done, Lord God, because this is not just all about what we can make our life to be. It's what you have made our lives to be, and it's about you. It's about you um, delivering us and saving us. So give us now a divine protection, wisdom, counsel, and the testimony of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your wisdom and protection in these very uh, wicked days, Father God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it is Holy Week and all around the world for us. And um, it is interesting that in the, this is a parallel, uh, the the, uh, Church of Jesus Christ is paralleling the Old Testament parallel. week of Passover, and Passover began on basically uh, the 14th of Nisan, which was the, and, and on the 10th, they were to take the lamb into their quarters, into their, and watch it and make sure it was without blemish. And then on the 14th day, they were to kill it, and then uh, as the Passover lamb, and then for the next seven days, they were to uh, celebrate a feast called Unleavened Bread. So there was to be no, uh, leaven, no sin, as you, that was kind of the representation of sin, in their houses. And so we are kind of in Passion Week right now. We are looking at Friday as being Good Friday. And then, of course, the day before that is the ninth, and that's the beginning of the Passover. So Jesus himself, um, according to God's very strategic calendar, was sacrificed on Passover because Passover began um, you know, he, he, and this, uh, he, we, well, he had the good supper, the last supper, I should say on Thursday, uh, and then went directly to Gethsemane and then Golgotha. And he was still part of that window, uh, Passover window. So most of the people were going to go eat the Passover that night after the crucifixion, but it actually began the night before. So he was in the window of time for the Passover to happen just as God had planned it. So he was actually able to not only eat the Passover with with his disciples, but then become the Passover. Within 24 hours, he had accomplished everything. But let's go back because we want to look at the sacrifice of God. And I asked, uh, you know, we're going to set this up to understand how this is 
been uh, from the 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 verse, Jerry, uh, for God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son, and that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, sometimes we hear that verse. We've heard it so much. We think, oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. We rattle it off, rattle it off without really the understanding of it. Correct. What does it mean, God so loved the world? Now, Margie, you were saying about Holy Week. There were a lot of unholy things going on during Holy Week. Well, and they were they were um, they were uh, celebrating this Passover at the end of plagues. There had been um, nine plagues, and the tenth plague was this, the plague of death. But they had come through uh, not only a week, but probably several months of excruciating darkness and pain and blood in the rivers and uh, epidemics and locusts in the in, in, the, in Israel, Egypt, in right? Egypt, yes. But but the reason God was breaking down Egypt was because He was breaking His children, setting His children free. They had been lo- uh, caught up in this slavery uh, for four hundred years, over four hundred years. They'd come down there as guests of the pharaohs at, at the bequest of Joseph, who was the second in command. But although that favor had gone away and the pharaohs had gotten jealous of the people of Israel because they were very industrious and they were very productive and they were very strong and they were multiplying too much. And so Egypt was very fearful that this nation would overtake them. And so they enslaved them. And so God was breaking down the walls, breaking down the morale of the Egyptians, their abilities to hold these people by actually, this is off the subject, but every one of the plagues, God struck down another specific God that belonged to the Egyptians. They were worshiping cows, so the cows got the boils. They were worshiping frogs, so the frogs, you know, crawled in their beds with them. Everything that in the Nile, they worshiped the Nile, Mm -hmm. so the Nile turned to blood. God was saying, I am God. This is enough. And so at the end of this, he had this very striking, literally striking, solution to the problem, and it was blood. Because God was foreshadowing his own, the death of his own son. And then he says, okay, you take this lamb. The lamb will represent, be for now, it'll be the representation of the lamb of God. And you take this uh, precious little lamb that you sacrifice at my command. Take the blood of it, put it on the doorpost so that when the death angel comes by, it will see the blood on the doorpost and the lentils of your door and it will pass by you. So the blood was their protection from the plagues the plague of death, the final plague of death, which actually took the firstborn of everybody else's kids and including Pharaoh's own son, which then finally broke his hand for a few days. So the children of Israel actually were ready to go or free to go. But when you think about this, and it was a tremendously powerful, I mean, I can imagine how much, can you, how much confusion there would have been among the people. And think about this for many, many years they had been enslaved. Then they could have said many times, where is God? Mm-hmm. Where is God? He's, you know, our babies are being sacrificed. Moses himself was pulled out of the Nile. One of the only ones probably that was prote- protected alive. They could have said, where's God? Where's God? We could say the same things. Where is God? But now we're going to look at God in the New Testament, what he's done to fulfill the shadow in the Old Testament. Well, the shadow in the Old Testament, you know, we talk about a foreshadowing. And it's like, you know, you just think of a shadow. If you're walking, say, about sunrise and you're walking west, there's a shadow that'll go before you, right? That's not you. It's the shadow of mm-hmm, you. Mm-hmm. 
and and it's coming before. So, but it really tells you that there is a you walking. <laughs> there is a you walking. <laughs> yeah, you, the shadows of something that's the real. You walking is Jesus, and it's, the, and, uh, and it's interesting <clears throat> that Isaiah prophesied. Interesting that okay, the Passover was instituted. The Egyptians were. You know that there were there's judgment upon Egypt because of all the false gods. God's people were set free. They were sent into the promised land. They lived in the promised land. They were blessed by God, but they turned away from God many times. Many many times. Yes. Idolatry, wickedness. There was a point where God said, "You're worse than the pagans that <laughs> I lived delivered here you. before you yeah. came that I that I delivered you from." Mm-hmm. And but then Isaiah is rebuking them, calling them to repentance, but then he's talking about a restoration. He's talking about how this is going to come to pass, Mm -hmm. not only for Israel, but for the whole world. In Isaiah 52, verse 13, Behold, my servant Mm -hmm. shall deal prudently. He's referring to Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. the Christ. He shall be exalted and extolled to be very high. In other words, he's going to do the right thing, He's going to do something amazing, and he's going to be exalted. He's going to do my will perfectly. Perfectly. And mm-hmm. just as, but then, but there was a path that had to be followed. There mm-hmm. was the cross before the crown. Just as many were astonished at you, his, so his visage or his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of man. In other words, Jesus, let's put it this way, would look like a piece of just beat up raw meat on mm-hmm, the cross. Mm-hmm. We Sometimes we see images of him as just a little cut here and a little cut there, but no, he was just... Beaten, He was whipped, just basically scourged. whipped, mm-hmm. physically Almost to, to death, almost to, the, to um, death. And so, but the result of that, that he was going to sprinkle many nations. Now, there was the sprinkling of the blood in the Old Testament mm-hmm. sacrifices that brought ritual cleansing, mm-hmm. purity. And so he's going to bring cleansing from sin to many nations. And not just the ritual cleansing, he's going to come, come and bring the full uh, r- ramifications of that, the full right, because, accomplishment of that. Because when John, in, in John chapter 1, verse 29, he says, uh, Behold the Lamb of God, referring to Jesus, mm-hmm. who takes away the sin of the world, not who covers the sins of the world mm-hmm. temporarily, takes it away yeah, that's permanently. And so, uh, and then Isaiah uh, chapter 53 is is the great prophecy, series of prophecies, absolutely spot on mm-hmm. in details mm-hmm. as to what Jesus would go through. Mm-hmm. And uh, and this is written uh, about 800 years before, it happened. before Christ came. The so, details are, are amazing. So, so weaving these details into the, the original, the actual Jesus on the earth and Jesus actually going through his life, um, we we have John three sixteen as you said for God so loved the world. But it, it, what happens is this is why this is the why this is the answer to the why did God do this? Why would God do this to His Son? And there's many people who have taken the devil's argument to tip this upside down on its head to spin it around to say if God is so good, how could He kill His own Son? How could He do this? How can we trust Him because He is so? Uh, even, you know, betrays his own son. 
And so that's how Satan has twisted this gift of God, the love of God, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the father's sacrifice of sacrificing his son for us. This is how Satan has twisted it, no kidding, in the minds of people, even who pretend to be part of the church of Jesus Christ. It's very, very twisted, very bewitching, very deceptive. But let's look at this for a minute because we've got to look at, first of all, question yourself. Ask yourself this question. We always put ourselves in the place of God. We always do that. We judge God all the time. We say, well, if I were God, I wouldn't have done that. Uh, it's a good thing we aren't God. Yeah, it is. But we, but we, but we act like we're God. We, our opinions are, the, the, are right. Our, our judgments are right. We're always right. We don't have to ever be corrected. We, we know better than God. It's hard for us to submit to God. And so we, in many times, we are acting like God and everybody else should know and do and, and, and think and, and behave the way we want them to. But so here's a question to you. If you, want, if you were God, if you were God, would you be willing to lay down your child's life to save a mob of ungrateful, apathetic, rebellious uh, mockers who hate you, who scorn you, who, con- who hold you in contempt and call you a fool and then twist around your motives to tell you that you're trying to do it for your own greedy gain? Would you be willing to lay down your son's life for that, to take a risk like that, to be rejected like that, just so that you, as God, could find a way to save whosoever will out of this demonic mess? Would you be willing to do that? If you can do that, if you're willing to do that, if you got that kind of strength and grace, you probably have only got it from the Lord God himself. But so the thing is, so we were... We, you know, our problem is we don't know we have this problem of needing deliverance and salvation. We don't, we're so used to, we're so sedated, seduced, lulled, used to a normal life that we have forgotten. And now we're being able, made to have to look up, look around and look inside and say, what is going on here? And you know, just as an aside, there's no way you're going to figure out what's going on here by looking out there. You're going to only find it by looking at the Lord God in his word and then letting him examine your heart. And then you'll know exactly what's going on. And the rest of that hoo-ha out there, whatever it is, it will be sorted out by the most High. But anyway, let's look at this, the relationship. You're talking about the very prophetic words, the visage that's marred, the, um, you know, the, 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 you know, the stricken for the transgressors. But as we go through that and as we parallel that with what was going on, for example, in Matthew chapter 27, we're going to have to ask the question, okay, God is willing to lay down his son's life. Is his son willing to lay down his life? And what is the relationship between the two of them that is so strong that Jesus is able to do this knowing full well, days in advance, maybe weeks, maybe months in advance, that he was going to die on a cross. Well, knowing from all eternity, because right. he is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So That's since, true. as long as there's been God, there's been, right. there's been this plan, mm-hmm. right? And so it's not just, oh, let's do, oh, man, man is sinful. Uh, they were rebelling against us. What are we going to do? Oh, mm-hmm. let's, let's, let's meet, let's have a meeting Let's have a Zoom meeting or something and, and talk and or face to face and try to yeah, decide what out. to do. Yeah. No, this was this was all ready in done, the in plan, the plan of God from from the beginning. And it was gonna happen from before just, the beginning of time. Yeah. It's all gonna happen just the way they planned it's gonna happen. We may think, oh, things are out of order and something jumped the gun and we're we're not in the right plan and somebody's controlling you know what, it's oh in already been written. Nobody's running ahead. Nobody's running behind. It's all as God has said. But in, if you go to Matthew chapter 20, 
26, we need to understand what's at stake here and why the Lamb of God, why the blood over the doorpost, why the, why the shedding of blood, why blood? Well, because in uh, Matthew chapter 26, um, we're talking about the, uh, the fact that there is a, there is a, a uh, um, Jesus, of course, he's, he's talking at the Last Supper. He says, he says in verse 26, 26, and as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples to take, eat. This is my body. Um, then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. 28, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So he's saying, this is my blood. I'm establishing a new testament and I am shedding this blood for the remission of sins. So blood had to be, blood was shed. The first blood was shed. That was, was Abel's. And from then to now, we have had nothing but tons of gallons of blood shed, man shedding blood of, of other men. But no blood was able to restore um, the truth and the righteousness of God. Leviticus 17.11, this is the principle God operates by. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. For I have given it to you upon the altar, not just in the veins, but upon the altar, mm-hmm. to make atonement or atonement. A, a, a covering. Or in the case, it's it's a removal of mm-hmm. sin in the case with Jesus. Mm-hmm. To make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Well, there you go. And the soul was what needed to be atoned for. It needed to be redeemed. It needed to be brought back because Satan had captured everybody in the Garden of Eden, and there was no remedy because no one had was qualified anymore to shed their blood for the salvation of humankind because they were all slaves. And so there had to come someone from outside of the system, which was Jesus Christ himself, and he had to take on a human form. So he also had a body and blood that could be shed in remission for sins. And he was outside of the system. He came as born of a virgin. He was not born of, of, of sin, and so he was sinless, and therefore the lamb that they had examined for three days before they could sacrifice this, this was the lamb that was without blemish. He was qualified to die in our place, as you said. Yeah, he was. there was no sin in him. He, he, he came in the likeness of sinful men. He was a really fully human, fully God, never sinned. But he came to be a, a, a final and perfect sacrifice so, for, for sin. So we have to look at this kind of in a, he was the perfect sacrifice. There's God, the father was totally okay with it. It was cool. It had cleared the courts of heaven. It was the, the thing that was prescribed even from the foundation of the world. But how was Jesus going to walk through this? He's, he was also human. Is he going to be willing to go through what he needs and knows he's going to have to go through in order to redeem us? And if we start the, the journey with him, he's in the book of, uh, again, Matthew, later down in the chapter, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's um, he came to the place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And so they sat and he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. So stay here and watch with me. Then he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, he's talking to God, oh, my father. He knows he's, he's his father. Okay, he's not saying, you have betrayed me. I can't believe you're doing this to me. I never suspected that you'd, you would, you know, really make me do this. He didn't say that. He says, oh, my father, if it is possible, all things are possible with God. If it is possible that this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So. 
he was still in that human place where he was saying, God, I'm willing. Is there, have you changed? Is there any change in the plans? Is there any other, you know, way for, was this like with, with Abraham, you go to the very last second where he's going to sacrifice his son and then you pull the knife back. Is this that? And basically the father said, no, this is not that. This is the real deal here. He said, nevertheless, you know, let this cup pass for me. But if I have to drink it, I will drink it. And basically the cup he's talking about is the cup of the wrath of God, I believe. That the cup he was drinking down the dregs was all of the sin, all of the rebellion, all of the hatred against God and the the Son of Man that had accumulated accumulated. in, in in the world um, from that point, even to now, he was drinking it down. And now that cup is full again. It's full again. But this time, the people who are going to be drinking of that cup are the, are the, the wicked. But he said, nevertheless, so not my will, but thy will be done. So he's willing to give his blood. He's at this point shedding or, or sweating out great drops of blood already, which is extremely uh, weakening. And so that an angel actually had to come to uh, strengthen him. And I think this is very interesting. I don't remember if that's not in Matthew. I believe it was in, in uh, one of the other, in Luke maybe. But he's interesting how Satan was still working overtime, mm-hmm. taking the weekend off to try to get Jesus to back out on the deal, even to the point of killing him illegally. So mm-hmm. he wanted Jesus all the time. He was trying to get Jesus to sin against the Father just one time. That didn't work. He tempted him in the wilderness. He tempted him in the garden. He tempted, he was tempted like, you know, more than, you know, every man, like every man is tempted. And so then, so Satan could not disqualify him by getting him to sin. So Satan wanted to see if he could just outright kill him. So these great drops of blood, which they say medically kills people, you can't sweat the drops of blood and not die. So God had to intervene by sending an angel Mm -hmm. to actually Mm -hmm. strengthen Jesus's body so he wouldn't die before he got to the cross. Well, you think of the whole, he says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Mm -hmm. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Mm -hmm. We thought, oh man, God must be mad at him because of all this. If he's the son of God, (laughs) he's dying on a, on a cross as a as a Thief. the lowest of yeah. criminals scum mm-hmm. but he, but 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 he was wounded for our transgressions for our bruised trans- for, for our, our sins. iniquities our so, iniquities so it wasn't for his sin no cuz he never sinned but all this it's hard for us to imagine that the aggregate of all human sin past present and future was laid upon him. Well, one of the problems and punished, that we, yeah, and punished and judged and dealt with, like in that. his his own. Peter says, in his own body on the tree, mm-hmm. referring to the cross. In his own all, body, he became a, sin for us. The Bible says in Galatians, body. he became a curse for us. So all the curses, the sins, the uh, uh, injustices of everybody, everything was put on him. He became a curse. The Son he of God became. Sin. Became sin for us, right? He who knew no sin, I think Second Corinthians five twenty one, became sin for us. Mm-hmm. So sin was there, and basically sin, sin died. Well, sin was crucified that sin day, was, but but so so we know that there was many many things, many dimensions of things going on in the death of Jesus Christ coming to the cross. It's not just a story that you read it through in your living room, armchair, whatever, and I'm not that bad, and thank you, God, for dying for me. It's like, 
okay, we would have been going to hell, people, without this intervention. But we want to see a little bit more uh, before we leave about what was the relationship with God and Jesus as Jesus was going now, nevertheless, to do the will of the Father. Um, and feeling, knowing uh, the prophetic words, I'm sure he did, in Isaiah 53 about, you know, his visage is going to be marred. He's going to be beat almost to death. He's going to be mocked, et cetera, et cetera. So in verse, um, Matthew again, verse uh, chapter 26, um, verse 63, 64, um, he was brought before uh, Pilate and before Caiaphas, and he said nothing in front of the high priest. And then um, the high priest said, I adjure you by the living God, I command you, tell me, tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. And so this high priest was, you know, just ready to scream blasphemy if he would have said that. But Jesus said, it is as you said. So he didn't say I am and I'm not. He says, it is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, now he's not done yet. He says, hereafter, you will see the son of man who Jesus called himself the son of man a lot sitting and at the right hand of the of the power coming on the clouds of heaven. So Jesus is is not denying his lordship or his kingship or his right right uh, rightful rightful uh, heir to the throne of, of, of power. He's saying you're going to see me come back on clouds and here he is the lamb of god standing before the high priest the epitome of religion and he's saying you're going to see me sitting at the right hand of the power and the priest just lost it he he spoke he screamed out tore his robes that was always a sign of their being totally you know bah, whatever disgusted he has spoken blasphemy what further need do we have of witnesses so it was on jesus christ's confession that he is the son of god the son of man the son of god the lamb of god that he was actually put to death for telling them that truth and um and then we see as we go through the the, the pain um of what's going to happen to jesus we have all kinds of emotional stuff we have him spe- speaking to the women and there's a very interesting thing he says to the women uh, as he's carrying the cross, he says, "Don't they're they're weeping for him. They're kind of freaking out. They say, oh, this poor guy, how he's suffering.' He says, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children, mm-hmm. because he knew the wrath, the 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 judgment that was coming. Like particularly in seventy A.D. when Jerusalem was was defeated by the Romans and the the temple was burned and and there were so many people that were brutally killed. There was a there was a judgment coming. Um, part of it, part of it, was because of their rejection of, of the Messiah, mm-hmm. and uh, that was that was in the works. That was coming, and and the, yeah, he was he was carrying our griefs and sorrows. Well, and he was, he was, but they didn't see it. Well, and even the disciples didn't see it. For example, jumping back a little bit to how was Jesus doing after he said, "Okay, Father, I'll go for it." Um, Peter was going to defend him by chopping somebody's ear off. And Jesus said to the boys, he said, uh, 26, uh, 53 of, of Matthew, do you not think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? How then could the scriptures be fulfilled if that this must happen thus? So he was saying, guys, I know I, I'm still in good standing with the Father. I've got this 12 legions of angels to back me up. Even one angel would be enough to take care of it. But I am will, I'm not calling them. I'm not asking for the backup because I know if I take that out, and it was a temptation, I am sure, to know that he had 12 legions of angels that could back him up, that he 
he said, I'm not taking that. I'm going to go straight forward. I'm going to go to the cross as we had talked about, as we, as it's been since the beginning, I didn't come down here to, you know, show off and, and defeat the Romans and call 12 legions of angels. Yeah, he could have done all of that stuff. But if he would have skipped that one little piece, dying on the cross, shedding his blood, then he wouldn't have leg- legally um, recaptured, regained the souls of men. He had to have the blood of the lamb in order for that to happen. So we see that he is going through this, but there's an emotional drama all over the place. Um, is Jesus going to stand up? Is he going to cave in? Uh, we thank God that he didn't cave in. And then we see finally in Matthew twenty-seven forty-six the most disturbing words I think I ever heard Jesus say myself. And I mean, I didn't hear him say them myself, but that I've read that Jesus has said the most disturbing words to me and the most confusing are um, uh, 27, 46. Well, let's just start with 45. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over the land. And about the ninth hour, what time is the ninth hour, Jerry? Is that nine o'clock? It's 12? about three o'clock. Oh, okay, three o'clock. About three o'clock, Jesus cried 3 PM. out. Three he cried out, cried out with a loud voice, saying, "Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani?" That is, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" And some of those who stood by when they heard it said, "This man is calling for Elijah." So they didn't quite understand what he was saying. Some ran to get some sour wine to see if they could revive him a little bit. Um, others were kind of freaking out. They'd already pounded the the uh, insignia over the cross. The king of the Jews. This is the king of the Jews. Or he, an, he is the king of the Jews. Which was an insult. Yeah, right to the Jews anyway. Yeah, to the um, Jews. And so we, we were wondering, okay, now did did what did God the Father abandon him? What happened there? Um, when he became sin, when he carried the curse of the sin of all the atrocities, all the injustices, everything that you and I have suffered, injustice, the injustices, the, um, uh, the, the crimes that have never been uh, brought to court, the, uh, the, the things that we have been abused and abandoned and suffered, and uh, even that many, many times that we felt like, where is God? Jesus is expressing the same um, cry in his soul my God, my God, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Have you forsaken me, abandoned me? I think abandonment is probably one of the most, the deepest wounds a person can suffer because you're then from there you're, you're vulnerable. The wound is there. You're, you're, it's a gaping wound, and all you want to do is protect it. If you got shot with a cannonball in your arm or in your belly or whatever, you, the only thing you want to do is try to protect yourself. And so when you're abandoned and there's nobody there, and there's nobody there to help you, and you're bleeding to death, or you're, you know, you're going to die. If Father Father doesn't do something, is he got another plan? Is he going to take me off the cross? Where are you? But I believe the Father, like any, I mean, seriously, if your son was being murdered in front of you, would you want to look at it? Would you want to see it? How could you, I mean, God is God, and of course he can do all things, but I believe God had to turn away because Jesus had become sin, and God had, you know, Jesus was feeling abandoned, but he was not abandoned because he also knew he had prophesied it before and that, that, that there would be a resurrection, that in three days he would rise again. So he had all of this in his heart and mind when he was going through this excruciating pain. Now, the most appalling thing to all, to all of this is that when he's dying on this cross, um, he has got these this mob of gangsters, this mob of uh, heartless, no heart, blinded, ruthless, 
religious evil people self-righteous critical bitter and they're mocking him and they're saying they're mocking likewise the chief priests they were the monk the mockers also mocking with the scribes and the elders and said he saved others this is 42 of 27 27 yeah matthew 27 he saved others himself he cannot save if he is the king of israel let him come down from the cross and we will believe him he trusted in god what a fool let him deliver him now if he's able to have him for he said i am the son of god even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing now you can imagine that's total abandonment you don't have, well, you have a few people in the crowd. You have Mary, his mother, Mary uh, uh, Magdalene. You have um, his, some of his aunts standing there, a few, John the disciple, uh, apostle. You don't have many of his followers. They pretty much were scattered like sheep. They went and hid. They, 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 I don't, I'm sure they thought they were going to be next. I'm sure they did. So they further, you know, went and scattered. But they do this to our teacher. They're going to do What are they going to do yeah, to the followers? So the they teacher? were sure that they were the next on the hit list. Um, because they misunderstood what was really going on. But anyway, so he's being mocked. And yet, yet, I've got to say one more thing. Where's the verse where he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Which gospel is that in? He said, um, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now, you notice here is a big critical piece to the idea and element of forgiveness. Jesus reached out forgave them, released them from his judgment and turned the judgment of their mockery and their rebellion and their contempt and their rejection of God, turned that back over to the Father. He did not judge them. He forgave them. And notice, some people think that you cannot, uh, you don't have to forgive anybody unless they ask for forgiveness. Well, that's pretty impossible because a lot of people you need to forgive are dead. So how are they going to ask for forgiveness? And Jesus never waited for them to forgive. Go ahead. Well, the verse you're referring to is Luke uh, 23, verse 34, when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Yeah. They do not know what they do. So he was forgiving them. They were not asking for forgiveness at that moment, and maybe some of them never did. But he forgave them. Yeah. But but He forgave them from his heart, and I don't know if they... Some of them may have repented. I think they On did. On the day of Pentecost, Peter said, you crucified. Mm-hmm. You're the ones you crucified. Now, mm-hmm. it speaks to maybe the the, the Jewish people. It, it speaks to the religious people. Who was listening. But there were many among them on the day of Pentecost that heard mm-hmm. and, and some, that, some that repented and, and received Jesus. Yeah, so, yeah. But uh, the forgiveness was flowing. The whole, the whole deal of the cross and the resurrection, not only to bring forgiveness of our sins but healing to put ourselves in right standing with god Mm -hmm. and to bring healing to our physical spiritual uh, all our wounds by his wounds we are healed we were healed and so there's healing this is the way this is the only way god could do it Right. And he did it out of love and for it, us. And it's good to see that the relationship between Jesus Christ and the Father was sustained. It was strong enough to lift this burden of sin off of us. It was like lifting this heavy weight. And it took the two of them, one on either side of this big rock, this big boulder, this big tree that had fallen across our head in our life, to lift this thing out. And their, their relationship was sustained. 
Uh, it was, and not only that, but Jesus Christ is exalted to the right hand of the Father and sits there uh, and is waiting for the signal to come back again. So going through this, we see that the relationship, the sacrifice of God was the sacrifice of both the Father and the Son. And Lord, we thank you, Father, for, for both of you lifting this burden, this weight of sin, this burden of sin that was crushing us, lifting it off of us and bringing it, uh, throwing it uh, into the sea of your forgetfulness that our sins are forgiven. We can live in grace and joy and peace and experience uh, and delight ourselves in our the love that you have for us and the love you have for each other. Thank you, Jesus, for getting us through. Lord, help us to appropriate through our trust in you, through your word, to un- understand and appreciate and live in the freedom that you came, that you bled and died to give us. We love you, Lord. In Thank Jesus', you, Jesus. name, Father. Hallelujah. Amen. Blessings. I have an emergency. What is your location? Because there's a war for your soul.